Well, we're continuing our series through uh, a number of Jesus' kingdom parables. And uh, before I have you turn to the parable we're looking at today, I just want to say we don't often sing hymns like the one we just sang together. I, I was excited that we were going to do this. Craig, I didn't realize Craig was going to pick it when, um, when I picked uh, the, the scripture reading. Um, excited about a somber hymn. I, I wonder for you, as you sang those words, how you felt, you know, it, it, that hymn begins, how long will you forget me, Lord? And maybe, you know, as, as you read those words and sang those words, maybe you wondered, are we allowed to say that kind of thing in church? Um, are Christians allowed to think like that? Yes, we are. As Craig said, that, that hymn is just Psalm 13, paraphrased and put to music. We were singing the very words of Scripture where the psalmist, David, cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It's pretty jarring. But Scripture gives voice to that feeling, that experience of being forgotten by God. You see, the, the Bible doesn't shy away from that kind of thing. In fact, it's, it's a somewhat common experience for the men and women in Scripture. You have King David, obviously, the other psalmists. You can think of Psalm 42, Job, Elijah, even our Lord Jesus himself as he cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are times in the Christian life where God seems hidden. And maybe some of you have experienced this. You just don't sense his presence the way you used to. Your prayers just seem to fall on deaf ears. And maybe you've asked questions like these, you know, where are you, God? Uh, do you see my pain? Do you even hear my prayers? Do you care? Are you going to do anything about it? How long, O oh Lord? And the parable we're looking at today in Luke chapter 18 speaks to those very questions. This is a parable for those who feel forgotten by God. And, and here in this parable, Jesus gives us Deep, deep comfort and assurance that we have not been forgotten by God, that God cannot forgot, forget his own people. Despite what your experience shouts at you, God is there. God hears. God sees. God will deliver you. And so if you haven't already, turn to Luke chapter 18. That's page 877 in the church Bible. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. I'll, I'll read them for us. I invite you to follow along and, and hear God's word. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. 
And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's ask for the Lord's help. Our God, we come before you this morning and and we simply ask that you would work hope into our lives through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Luke does something very helpful here in this passage. He, right at the very beginning, right off the bat, he tells us what the purpose of the parable is. And then he gives us the parable and then its application. And so this morning, we're going to follow that order. First, the purpose, second, the parable, and then third, the lesson. So the purpose, the parable, the lesson. First, let's consider the purpose. Let me, let me read once again verse 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so this parable here, often called the parable of the unjust judge, or sometimes in, in my Bible it's, it's labeled the parable of the persistent widow. This parable about a judge and a widow, it's, it's about prayer. And specifically, as Luke tells us here, it's about not giving up on prayer. And, and I suspect that already, right here at the beginning of point one, uh, some of you may be starting to check out. And for some of you, it's related to shame. And for others, maybe it's cynicism. You know, let's think about shame for a moment. You all, many of you have been in the church for a long time. You've heard sermons about prayer. You've been exhorted to pray consistently. You know that prayer is important. Maybe you've tried to cultivate a a regular practice of prayer. But it's a struggle, isn't it? And so right now... Shame is, is starting to settle on you as you hear Jesus talking, or the, this passage talking about the need to pray, not to give up on prayer. And, and I know that many of you are probably feeling like you don't pray the way you want to. Uh, your, your prayer life is just kind of limping along, and so you feel bad. You feel like a failure, and, and that sense of shame it keeps you from praying. It's this vicious cycle. I don't know if you've experienced that. You, you struggle to pray and then you feel shame about that. So that keeps you from praying and it, and it just perpetuates itself. Listen, prayer is hard. Okay. Prayer is hard. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. Uh, you might feel like you're the only Christian who struggles with prayer here this morning. But you're not. Just about every other person sitting near you uh, wishes their prayer life was something better than it is. If you want, it's been said, if you want an easy way to make a Christian feel guilty, just ask them about their prayer life. (laughs) 
guilt sets in immediately. You see, prayer is not easy. And it seems like it should be, right? I mean, at its most basic, prayer is, is what? Talking to God. What, what's so difficult about that? And yet, the, the testimony of believers throughout the ages is that cultivating a, a healthy prayer life is extremely hard work. And so, you're not alone, okay? If you struggle with prayer, if, if it's difficult for you, you're not the only Christian who feels that way. And I want you to realize here that this parable, which we'll get to in a moment, it's meant to encourage you. Jesus is not trying to shame his disciples here for their flabby prayer lives. It's not a rebuke to them because they're, so, they're such poor praying people. He's, he's motivating them to pray, and he, and he does it in a, in a tremendous way. He reminds them of, of profound truths about God's love and care. And it's, it's those gospel realities that, that we'll see in a few moments that, that keep us going and keep us from giving up on prayer. And so be encouraged, or you will be encouraged, I think, in a few moments. But the, the other issue I mentioned, cynicism. You know, some of you, it's shame that that gets to you when you think about prayer. For others, it's, it's cynicism. You know, some, t- some of us are, are tempted to give up on prayer because it just doesn't seem to do anything. It doesn't appear sometimes to make any difference. Uh, think about it. I know some of you have, have prayed and prayed for wayward children, and yet they're still making a mess of their lives. Or you've prayed for a loved one to be healed and, and their suffering just gets worse. Or you've prayed, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. And then you, you turn on the news and you hear about another school shooting and, and you wonder, does God really reign? <laughs> where, where is his kingdom? Why is the world such a mess? And, and maybe you start to think, what's the use in praying if God doesn't seem to be listening? Cynicism. And, and it's that very kind of experience that, that Jesus is even addressing here with his disciples in, in context. Just at the, the end of chapter 17, Jesus talks, talks to them about life during his absence. Life in that time between his resurrection and ascension to heaven and his second coming. That, that time that you and I live in right now. And he says to them in Chapter 17, verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And then he goes on to tell them what to watch out for. But in other words, he's saying, look, you will long for the coming of God's kingdom in all its fullness. You will long for my return that day when I set everything right, but it won't come immediately. It'll feel like delay. And and that delay will tempt you to give up hope. Maybe, you know, the disciples would start thinking, maybe Jesus changed his mind. He's he's not coming back to finish what he started. Or or maybe we were fools for putting all our eggs in in one basket and and believing this. And it's, it's that reality, that experience of delay that trips us up, isn't it? You know, we, we tend to interpret God's delay as what? Indifference, apathy, 
you know, I, I prayed, God didn't answer. He must not care. And I'm just, I'm done with this praying business. And, and maybe that's where some of you are at today. And if that's the case, Jesus wants to chip away at your cynicism. Here in this, this parable, he, he wants to rekindle your hope. And so I just want to say to you right here in, in point number one, whether it's shame or cynicism or something else for you that, that uh, makes prayer something difficult for you, something you want to give up on, let me just ask you to hear what Jesus has to say in this parable. And, and so the purpose of the parable that we would not give up on prayer. Second, let's look at the parable itself. And it, it's a very simple story, as many of Jesus' parables are. There's, there's just two characters, a judge and a widow. And verse 2 introduces us to the judge. We read that in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And so uh, this individual... He's a, a prominent person in the community. He's a person with power. And as Jesus tells us here, he's also a despicable human being. He, you know, it's really interesting that Jesus gives this extended description of him, that he neither fears God nor regards man. He, he, he doesn't fear God, meaning this, this guy, this judge, he, he couldn't care less about what is right and just and good. And, and for him, there are no ethical standards outside of his own, outside of himself. He doesn't fear God. Nor does he re have regard for people, meaning he just doesn't care what people think about him. And, and also, he's incapable of, of feeling any empathy or sympathy for the, the individuals who come before him to plead their case. He's just, he doesn't care about people. He, he's an inhumane person. And, and maybe you noticed as I read the passage, he knows that about himself. He's very honest. Verse 4, when he's talking to himself, he says, I don't fear God. I don't regard people. He just, he's unashamed at, at being such a, a rotten person. You know, he's, he's not the kind of person you want hearing your case. Especially in, in that culture, that time where there's not a jury. It's just this judge. I, I had to report for jury duty recently. And I got called up to a courtroom to potentially be selected on a case. And, and it really struck me, listening to the judge speak, how important it is to have a judge who is just who wants to interpret the law as it is, who wants to rule according to the law, and a judge who is, has some regard for people. I, this case that I ended up not getting selected um, was about a drug trafficking case. And uh, the judge spoke very respectfully of the defendant. And the judge didn't, you know, uh, predispose potential jurors to to think less of this individual because of what they were being accused of. And so you want a judge who's just. You want a judge who's good. And this judge does not meet uh, the criteria. So we, we 
are introduced to the judge in verse 2. Verse 3, we meet the second character. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. A widow. And in that time, you know, widows were very vulnerable, easily exploited, often especially with financial matters. And, and this woman, this widow, has been wronged in some way. And we don't know specifically, but, but it's, it's very likely that property had been taken from her illegally or, or something had been illegally done with her husband's estate after his death. And, and she pleads with the judge for justice. I think some older translations uh, talk about vengeance, avenge me. But, but she's asking for restorative justice here. She wants this judge to set things right. And, and notice, she doesn't just come once. The, the text says she kept coming. She comes over and over again, give me justice. And, and maybe, you know, she even followed this judge around town. It wasn't just in the courtroom. Maybe she's, you know, stalking him in a sense. Give me justice. Listen to me. And then Jesus tells the outcome here of this woman's um, request, verses 4 and 5. Initially, this judge, as you would expect, he refuses. Refuses to act, refuses to pay any attention to this woman. Uh, given what we know about his, his character, maybe he was expecting a bribe to render judgment for her. But eventually she wears him down. And Jesus says there, verses 4 and 5, For a while he refused, but afterward he, the judge, said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That phrase, beat me down, it comes from the boxing world. And, and literally, it refers to blackening someone's eye with blows from a fist. And so it's kind of comical if, if you take this judge's uh, statement literally. Uh, can you imagine this, this helpless, poor widow just landing some jabs to this guy's face and blackening his eye? But... but Physical assault isn't what he actually fears. He, he, he's worried that this woman is going to annoy him to death. She's, she's tenacious. She will not take no for an answer. And so to get her off his back, this, this hard-hearted judge, he grants her justice. He gives her justice. And so that's the parable. <laughs> and we're thinking... Okay, don't give up on prayer. Some rotten judge and a widow. What, what is going on here, Jesus? Well, let's third talk about the lesson. The lesson. You know, I think we often draw the wrong conclusions from this parable. Um, often we come up with a, a, an answer of what is this parable supposed to teach us. It goes along the lines of, well, we should keep praying until we get an answer. We should be persistent. I mean, even the headings in most of our Bibles, the persistent widow. Um, Jesus does teach something like that in other places. You, you know, I think of Luke chapter 11, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. 
But that's not Jesus' point here. You see, Jesus is not saying that God is like this judge and and you have to wear him down with your persistent prayers. And if you pray enough, and if you just show that you're really committed to this, he'll finally just kind of give in and give you what you've been asking for. You see, this parable is actually a parable of contrast. The, the, The power of this parable rests in the contrast, the point being that God is not like this judge. He's not. Look at what Jesus says, beginning in verse 6. And the Lord said to his disciples now, he's finished telling the parable, and he says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. It's a, it's a how much more argument. You know, if, if this rotten judge, if this despicable person who, who has no sense of justice, no, no um, humanity, um, responded to this nobody widow, how much more, how much more will God respond to his own people. It's that how much more argument that Jesus is making here. And, and there's really kind of three encouragements that he gives here. And I just I want to briefly talk about them. The, the first encouragement to us, as Jesus explains the lesson of this parable, is remember God's character. Remember God's character Unlike the judge, God is just. Psalm 97 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, meaning that God loves justice. Everything he desires, everything he purposes, everything he does is is right and just. His kingdom is a kingdom of justice. And what that means is that God is not indifferent to injustice. And what that means for you is that God is not indifferent to the wrongs that have been done to you. Those things that make you cry out to him night and day, as Jesus talks about. He cares. He's a God of justice. He's concerned about the things that, that you've had to suffer, that you are suffering now. He's not like that judge. Who, who couldn't care less. And, and there's a beautiful picture of this um, in Exodus chapter 2. And, and there in Exodus 2, the Israelites are suffering as slaves in Egypt, and, and they cry out for help. And, and we read there at the end of chapter 2, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and, and listen to this, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He sees your affliction. He knows your pain. This God hears your prayers. And as a God of justice, one day he is going to set everything right. And so Jesus is telling us, look, remember God's character. You can pray with confidence. You don't, you don't have to badger God and, and wear him down. That's not the kind of God he is. You can entrust 
yourself to him. And, and, and you can know that he's not indifferent. He may seem silent right now, but that's not indifference. And one day, he's going to make everything sad come untrue. That's a line from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, Samwise Gamgee <laughs> spoke it. And there's a whole lot of good theology bound up in that statement. One day, everything sad will come untrue because there is a God of justice who reigns and who has committed himself to us. And, and God's not only just, he's good, he's loving, he's merciful, he's, he's gracious, he is everything this judge was not. And so can you just hear that for a moment and just let that kind of sink in for you a, a, a bit more that God is good without qualification without question he's he's good and he's faithful and he's merciful and he's loyal and he's loving and just just sit with that for a moment and maybe you're thinking, well, we would if you didn't keep talking, but, <laughs> but sit with it while I'm talking. <laughs> He's good. There's a, a phrase that the Puritan John Owen used, um, hard thoughts about God. And, and what he meant was when life is hard, when we're suffering, when our prayers seem to be met with silence, we, we start to think hard thoughts thoughts about God. You know, we start to question his goodness. Uh, we begin to doubt his love and his kindness. Um, you know, if, if you go to your neighbor and, and you ask them, you know, can you, can you trim those tree branches from, that are hanging over into my yard? And you ask, you know, five, six times and nothing happens. Your, your conclusion is they just don't care. And sometimes we feel like that with God. I, I've, I've prayed. I, I've actually prayed about this quite a bit. And nothing. He, he must not care. And Jesus comes to us here in this parable and he says, Look, I, I know it's hard to see it right now. But God is good. He hasn't forgotten you. He's going to come through for you. Will not God give justice to his elect who, call, who cry out to him day and night? And he answers his own question. He surely will. And, and if we needed further assurance, as if it's not enough for Jesus to, to tell us this, if we needed further assurance, we have God the Son in human flesh telling us this. He, he became one of us. He identified with us in our, our sin and suffering. He suffered unto death and rose bodily from the grave. And, and those realities, Jesus' incarnation, death, and resurrection, they, they put to bed any idea that God is distant or unconcerned or indifferent. And so Jesus here wants us to remember God's character. He's, he's not like that judge. That's not the kind of God we, we belong to. That's not the kind of God we pray to. But, but second, I, I think here he, he encourages us to remember our identity to remember our identity. Look again at verse 7. Jesus says, And will not God give justice to whom? His elect. 
why does he put it like that? Why doesn't he just say, will not God give justice to those who, who pray to him? And, and I think it's because Jesus wants us to remember who we are. We, we aren't insignificant nobodies trying to gain a hearing with the Almighty. Through Jesus, we have a whole new identity, as he says here. We are God's chosen ones. And, and for a moment, just put aside you know, the debates about predestination and, and free will. That's not his point here. This is about identity. We are God's people, the, the objects of his love. When, when Jesus says his elect, he's talking about God's own people whom he has rescued, his, his treasured possession. He's, he's bound himself to us in covenant by the blood of his own son. And, and just in case anybody thinks it's arrogant to, to think of ourselves as, as God's chosen ones, remember, this identity is a gift of grace. Uh, it, it's an identity we receive, not an identity that we achieve. This, this is who we are. If you are a man or a woman or a child in Christ, when you pray, you are praying as a son or daughter of the great king. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Did he teach us to come just kind of groveling on our hands and knees? I, I am a worm and don't even deserve to be talking to you. Those things are true. <laughs> but Jesus told us to pray this way. Our Father. Our Father who is in heaven. I mean, that is just, just tremendous encouragement to keep praying that the God to whom we pray far from being some some unjust wicked inhumane judge is our heavenly father that through Jesus Christ we are his adopted sons and daughters and, and this father you know if, if your earthly father wasn't very you know a great person uh, this heavenly father is the ideal father not too busy to hear your requests, uh, we matter to him. That's what Jesus is getting at. Will not God give justice to his elect? We matter to him. He, he loves us. He cares about our hurts and pains. He cares about our desires. And, and he wants us to bring these things to him. It's not like, well, God, I know you're so busy and, and I'm kind of intruding on your time. But, but if you could see to it, could you just kind of maybe do this thing for me? No. He tells us, come. Jesus says, pray to your Father. How could this God ignore us? How could this God forget us? We are his people. And so do you hear what Jesus is, is saying to you? God will most certainly hear and answer his people's prayers. So he wants us to remember God's character. He wants us to remember our, our identity. There's a third thing here. Be patient with God's timing. Be patient with God's timing. And, and there's a tension we should feel as we read these verses. You know, on the one hand, Jesus assures us that, that God hears. God will act. He even uses language like speedily. <laughs> 
Will he delay long over them? Um, No, he will act speedily. And yet, especially at the end of the passage where Jesus talks about when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on on the earth? There's this sense in which there's a delay. And, And you all know from even personal experience that sometimes God makes us wait a long time to see our prayers answered. And, and it raises this question, I mean, is God slow to help? It really depends on whose definition you're using, right? Are, are we talking about God time or are we talking about human time? Uh, Tim Keller says, you know, our perspective on time compared to God's, it, it's like a two-year-old's perspective compared to an adult's. And if you've ever taken a road trip with young children, uh, you know what that's like, right? I mean, 10 minutes into the trip, all of a sudden from the back seat, are we there yet? And then every five minutes afterwards, how much longer are we there yet? How much longer are we there yet? And children just don't have the experience or the wisdom or the, the perspective to think about time uh, properly. And the same is true for us when it comes to God answering our prayers. I mean, you think of what Peter says about God time in in 2 Peter 3. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And he goes on to say, the Lord isn't slow, as some consider slowness. A thousand years. That seems a little slow to me. <laughs> but, but we, as finite creatures, we just don't have the capacity to, to think about time the way God does. And, and Keller, again, comments that, that our time frames are just so out of sync with ultimate reality and what God is doing and how God sees things. And so Jesus' promise here about God's speedy answer doesn't mean, and this is important to realize, it doesn't mean immediate answers. I want immediate answers, don't you? I don't like to wait. And and I've said this before, um, I pay for Amazon Prime because I don't like to wait. And I want fast shipping. And now that they've introduced one-day shipping and even same-day shipping, the whole standard uh, two-day prime shipping just seems like that is way too long. I want to order it, and I want it at my doorstep this afternoon. And and we kind of approach prayer like that. We we approach God like that. We, We get impatient because we expect him to work on our timetable. But we have to remember, as as Jesus is alluding to here, that that God works in his own time frame, his own wise time frame, not ours. And so even at the end of the passage, Jesus, he calls us to patient trust. Remember God's character. Remember your identity. Be patient with God's timing and patiently trust him. He says, when the Son of Man comes, and he's speaking of himself, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, we will become impatient with God's timing and 
will we, or I should say it's a question, really, will we become impatient with God's timing and give up on prayer? Or will we do what the Psalms often urge us to do, and that is wait on God? And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, will, will the Son of Man find faith on earth? As, as Jesus' disciples have, have lived in that, that in-between time between his resurrection and his second coming, and the, it's that long wait Will we patiently trust? And waiting doesn't mean passivity. It's, it's that confidence that, that God will show up, that he, that he will come through us, through for us, but it's a trust that, that endures in a season of waiting. It's a trust that's expressed through the regular practice of prayer. And so, as a wrap up, uh, let me ask you, do you feel forgotten by God this morning? Are you just discouraged? You know, beginning to lose hope? And it, has your prayer life dried up because you're, you're growing weary? I keep praying and praying for relief and nothing. Can I just ask you to receive Jesus' encouragement this morning? I, I'm not going to give you a list of 10 things you should do to improve your prayer life right now. Maybe that would be helpful, probably not. But um, can I just ask you to receive Jesus' good word here? Can I ask you to hear the hope that he holds out, that that you belong to a God who loves you. You belong to a God who is faithful. You belong to a God who, who sees, who hears, who, who knows you. You belong, if you are in Christ, you belong to a God who will come through for you. Maybe not in the way that you expected, and, and maybe not at the time that you expected, but, but he's going to show up. At the right time, in the right way. And Jesus wants you to know that here. Will not God, this God who has loved us and redeemed us through his own son, will he not give justice to his own people? Will he not respond to their cries for help? He, he will. Keep entrusting yourself to him, friends. Don't give up on prayer. You pray to your Father in heaven who loves you, cares for you, and will come through for you. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, I, we come before you and, and so many of us experience the ups and downs of life and begin to, begin to doubt your goodness, begin to question whether you care about us, would you just comfort us today? Would you work deep assurance into our hearts that you are a God who sees and hears and knows and acts? Would you, Lord, give us strength to continue coming to you with our requests and our fears and our, our prayers and to not give up? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.